0: This episode of Toys on Tap is brought to you by Elite Sweets, the donut makers. Damn, they're good. You ever look in the mirror and just realize, man, I'm fat. I want to lose this fat. I did that back in September. I started a weight loss competition with my best friend. And we looked in the mirror and realized, man, this is the biggest we've ever been. And honestly, what it is, we ate too many donuts. That's all it was. Before we started the weight loss competition, did some Googling, trying to figure out what I wanted to go, and Elite Sweets was the brand. They came up. They've got three donuts that are so good. Chocolate, birthday cake, cinnamon, sugar. You do not want to miss them. They come shipped in a box that's refrigerated. Put them in the fridge. You can heat them up. Grab them on the go. They're good cold, good hot. Oh, so good. I can tell you that I'm down 30 pounds. I'm excited about that. And it isn't without the help of Elite Sweets. You can find them on Instagram at Elite.Sweets. You can find them online at EliteSweets.com. Also, if you go on and you purchase some of their donuts and you enter Abraham15, that's A-B-R-A-H-A-M-1-5, you get 15% off your next order, which is dope. A-B-R-A-H-A-M-15, Abraham-15, boom. That's the code. So go on, buy the variety packs. You will not be sad for doing so. Those donuts are so damn good. What's up, Doug? Can you hear me? Yeah. Do I get to see your face in this or no? Yes, you do. Hold on. <laughs> got hold all-
1: a gussied up special just for you
0: oh well that's what i'm talking about i wish this was a video not a podcast then not really just fucking me (laughs) (laughs) Alrighty. you're kind of my definition person today which i'm stoked for oh yeah i hope i don't let you down well i mean i had suck lord on so can you do better or worse than that
1: Uh, it's hard to top that because there's just uh, I listened to that interview and it uh, it's entertaining just to like listen to him meander on about just about anything
0: yeah I you know I my goal when I was talking to him was like I I, we can google every single thing about you like I need something more and then it Mm -hmm. became a cool therapy session which I was sure yeah
1: (laughs)
2: yeah
1: and uh because that's that's kind of what our conversations end up being is just this kind of like this spiral rabbit hole of, you know, that just boils down to like, what is our existence and yeah, why, why am I here? And then you just
0: hit a wall and then you go cry in the corner. Which I mean, like, if we're honest, I, I fucking make toys. Like my existence is surrounding toys right now. So it is what it is.
1: You know, the, the two, uh, you know, your two basic impulses as a human are survival and reproduction. Yeah. And and one is technically survival of yourself and one is survival of your species. You can trace most things that you do in life to those two things. Yeah. So making toys is just, you know, either for your own, you know, spiritual survival, you know, that you need something to get you through the day that you have a creative outlet or if you're actually one of the few that's fortunate enough to make money off of it, then you uh, are doing it for survival, right? Wait so, a minute. We're able to make money off of all this? How do we well, do that? Yeah. I mean, I mean, not that's not everybody's goal. And I'm yeah. not saying that that should be everybody's goal. And, you know, if you take the, you know, the Suckler, for example, is like, or for any artist that I know, <clears throat> once, every artist I know that's on their own you know, longs for the day when they had a a day job and they had health insurance and they were, you know, covered. And then everyone who's out on the, uh, who's working for someone else wants to, you know, be on their own and be their own boss. But when you're your own boss, you know, you're your own accountant, your own marketing, your own, like, you know, logistics and resource support and uh, HR, like, so... It's just finding a balance. And I think most, most of the people in the scene do it because they love it mm-hmm. and because it's something that gets them going. And if they do have a day job, it's the thing that they love to come home to and is it is a challenge for them. Uh, some people after a while, after spending money on it and not making enough money, drift away. But those are the people who are doing it for the wrong reasons, right? Yeah. Yeah, I,
0: I couldn't imagine. I mean, I've broken even a good number of times, but like making, if my goal is making money, yeah, I would have already left. Sure, but you, you've been
1: doing this a short period of time. Yeah. So, I mean, if you count like how much it would cost to go pay someone to train you to do something, do mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So you're kind of learning on the job, which is totally okay. And there's a lot of happy accidents and a lot of things that you figure out for yourself. So, um, it's unrealistic for anyone to think that they're just going to, I'm going to make toys and then I'm going to make money right away. Yeah. No, no business can do that. Yeah. You know, you have to, you know, you start a business, like you invest in infrastructure, whatever you're, whatever you want to do. And then sometimes you can make money based on your operating costs immediately, but those big costs up front sometimes take years to, you know, to recoup. So, yeah. And, and the thing about being an artist, I had a, uh, I have a buddy once, you know, and I would just, it's graphic designer and give him a hard time. It's like, you know, you charge so much money for whatever he did. You know, he's like, bzz, 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 he did a drawing. Yeah. It's like, and he said to me, it's not, they're not paying me for how much time that it took me to do the job. Mm-hmm um they're paying me for the 20 years it took me to get to the point where I could do it that fast.
2: Yeah. Absolutely.
1: So, you know, it's um and I don't know what your workflow is like, but the more you do it, the faster you'll get. Yeah. The better execution. You know, it's it's in any kind of creative endeavor, it's having something in your mind making the compromises or the sacrifices or whatever you need to get it done. And then seeing what the finished product is like and how often are you able to like turn that one thing, the vision that you had into your mind into something physical. And sometimes it's very close and sometimes it's very different because mm-hmm. it's good. Sometimes it's bad. But um, it's as many times as you can practice that. Like, I want to write a book. OK, mm-hmm. not really, but just pretend <laughs> um, and I want it to, you know, if, evoke all of these feelings and I want it to be about this subject and I want to make this point well that's my intention and then when you do it sometimes it doesn't turn out exactly how you planned yeah and you know you get you know you get feedback from the world and it depends also how you interpret that feedback yeah like some people are like Ed Wood Mm -hmm. you ever seen Ed Wood in the Tim Burton movie yeah I mean that it's one of my favorite movies but it it actually really is is depressing for me because the guy is just so deluded Mm -hmm. and he's just wandering around thinking like his stuff is amazing and that's the admirable part about him it's not the actual movies that are good it's his his vision and he just doesn't care about what anyone else thinks and he's happy and fulfilled yeah i mean i think didn't he drive like heroin or i don't know whatever but you know what i mean it's like um, no one humans don't operate in a vacuum and uh, there was something interesting that they said in that documentary about uh in the, the social experiment they said like we're we're all like you know communal beings and we're used to living in a tribe you know for millions of years we in a tribe and we kind of care about what this immediate group of people in our circle think about us mm-hmm. and we're hierarchical and we you know we're clannish and all that kind of stuff but we are not prepared as a human species or as a species to care about, to, to deal with what thousands or millions of people think of us. Yeah. Right. And social media is kind of like weird. Like I post something on it and sometimes, you know, 10 people like it. Sometimes thousands of people like it. And it's like, that's, that's, that's not some, that's new. Yeah. You know, that's like past
0: couple hundred years new. Um, so it's a weird world that we're in yeah i love it I, that's what drew me to it um i so i mean the cool like dollar slice was pushing me and pushing me and it was like you need to get dev on the podcast which is i'm all about uh but i think it's like it's important that like you're our ringleader for all mm-hmm. of us you get us to do shows and you give us our info and all that stuff uh, um I'm not sure. I'm the the ringleader. I'm, I'm here to help people who want it. Um,
1: We do sell the stuff and uh, you know, there's an ulterior motive there. You know, it's like, this is, we're trying to make this financially feasible also. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, we're here as a platform for people uh, generally for people starting out, trying to get their work out into the world. And we're usually happy to work you know, with most new artists, you know, coming to the scene. I mean, that's, that's, that's the goal.
0: Yeah. Can you, so before we do any definitions or anything, before I lose this thought, there's been a lot of pushback and I've seen um, a couple of videos that kind of drove me nuts about how um, like conventions and all these things charge for booze and charge fees and do all this. And then um, like his whole thing was like, we shouldn't be charged. But everyone's trying to make this financially viable. And it's like, because we, like all these places, we've just been okay with like percentages being taken. Because that's just, you also have to get stuff as well.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Um, So like, what is the flip side of that? Other than them being angry about the fact that we have to pay to go to these conventions and stuff. Like this isn't, it's tough. Because this isn't for free. Like I get so much notoriety from it. People see me. Look, it, everything has a cost. Yeah. Sometimes sometimes it's a financial cost. Sometimes
1: it's your time, right? Mm-hmm. It's your, you know, a part of your life just kind of like ticking away. Yeah. Um, and in order to be successful, unfortunately, in most things in life, financially, you have to, it's kind of like the mob, you have to prove yourself as an earner.
2: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: And when you can earn for somebody else, that's when you get an opportunity. And it's unfortunate, but a big studio doesn't come to you and say, Hey, we want you to be in our movie. We'll pay you $10 million. Yeah. No, you have a proven track record, right? You've opened up other movies. You have, they've pulled, they've, Uh, they know how you're you're scoring and they know what people will react to and then that's when they decide you know that they're going to offer you this take a risk on on offering you this kind of money with which to take that money and then get a return yeah so uh, on a smaller scale it's not that much different with dke here Um, but if you're you know i love the example of like john travolta being in pulp fiction like that was his big comeback but he made scale which was you know back in the 90s probably not a whole hell of a lot of money i mean probably decent for most people probably not a lot for him i don't know um but it was based on the success of that and the popularity and his comeback that he was able to do these other like you know horrible movies and get 10 and 20 million dollars a movie also, like the, uh, the example of uh, Buster Douglas, who was a boxer, and he was fighting Mike Tyson in Japan. And the the word on the street was the next person who was going to actually beat Mike Tyson was probably 10, year, 10 years old at the time. Like It would take yeah. another 10 years for someone to grow up and knock out Mike Tyson. And Buster Douglas knocked out My, Mike Tyson. Uh, Mike Tyson probably made a few million dollars, and Buster Douglas got like 500000 Um it wasn't till his next fight, when he fought Leon Spinks, that he cashed in and got his, you know, tens of however many millions of dollars. He got knocked out in two minutes. Yeah, that didn't matter. You get paid on past performance, and so, you know, my conversations with the sucklord, like he's always like, when is it going to happen for me? When's it going to happen? And I'm yeah. I just telling him like, it's happening now. This is it. Right, You get to do, you're your own boss, you get to make your own work and you're supporting yourself. Yeah. That is the goal of 99% of the artists out there. It's just, once you get there, it's like, you know, then the grass is always greener. It's just, you know, the hierarchy of needs. It's like, oh, well now, you know, I'm not okay just, you know, supporting myself. Now I want to secure my future. Now I want to secure a future for me and my family oh, now I want to retire and I don't want to keep doing this, you know, when I'm 80 making toys, like I need it. So it's like, unfortunately that's just the way humans are. And, uh, there's a fine line with, you know, contentment, like some, you know, in art, some people say contentment is death. Right. But then also on the flip side of that, if you're walking around as someone who is never content and never happy with anything, then it's a miserable existence where you're always fighting. You know, life's hard. Yeah. And if you were walking around the tundra with your tribe, you know, uh, hundreds of thousands of years ago, like you'd wake up hungry in the morning and you'd go start looking for food. And you'd wander, that was your job. If you didn't do your job well, you died. Like, yeah.
0: you know, we
1: have some semblance of a social safety net, not a
0: very good one, but, you know. I think for me, I just, I picture it as like, advertising costs it makes more sense to like no and no in no proper fashion would i ever get that many people to see what i'm doing or to even care about what i'm doing so the fact that like because you're not the only one like garrett does it and then dustin functions off of consignment like Mm
2: -hmm.
0: we we do this because we're opening ourselves up to a like a a bigger market and so i understand and so when people get frustrated with that I think mm-hmm. it, it drives me nuts. Cause it's like, okay, fine. Don't pay them the 40% or whatever, but then mm-hmm. are you going to reinvest that 40% in some other form of advertisement? Like, is that what
1: well, you look, think? I mean, you and I have had the same conversation. It's the same conversation I have with, with everyone, because when someone comes to me and says they want to release something with us, yeah. it's, my, it's my number one job is to manage their expectations. Absolutely. And I, I've had to do this with artists and designers and, and, uh, and firms that we represented for distribution for a dozen years. Like people come to you and they think, Oh, you're going to distribute our stuff. Like you are going to make, like, you're going to m- make it easy for me and it's going to be magic. It's like, no dude. Like I, I mostly have to make sure that your head is screwed on straight before I can work with you. Mm-hmm. Because if you, if anybody approaches me and they think that this is, they're just going to be sorely disappointed Yeah, and there's already plenty of people who are disappointed and just letting them know that like i'm doing as, as fair a fair job to put their work out there as possible um but then you know there's some people who have said like oh like like dove and dke like they're gatekeepers and that's not true no right all right and so the thing is like do people lose a cut of uh when they sell stuff with us absolutely i mean we're doing a lot of work mm-hmm. but and not only that like we couldn't survive on just the consignment work that artists provide us, a, yeah. you know, run of 20 pieces at $45. Like we get a cut of that. Like that's no one's retiring on that. You know, yeah. that's, <clears throat> um, that's covering costs. Um, but no one is using DKE as a platform as a the sole way to release their work. Yeah. You know, that's like people do one project a year and then the rest of the year they're off selling their stuff So I always tell people, you know, put your best foot forward, come up with your best idea, make it, because what we can provide for people is a platform and promotion. Yeah. We have a a very good press list. Uh, We do, we post stuff on our blog and our social media. We send out press releases. Uh, We go on, you know, shows like this. Um, We do toy geeks. Uh, We did another one called hot dads, like where we show off the work and, People get a lot of attention from that, and that's what it's about. It's not like if you had to pay a publicist, you would pay way more money and get far less. Yeah. So, you know, and DK is not for everybody. You know, I mean, yeah, we can we can get into the the specifics of it, but you know, we've talked before about like the spectrum of work that's out there. Mm-hmm. and kind of where we operate in the middle for you know legal reasons and for what is palatable to a large number of people and there's a lot of creative really talented people whose work I collect that wouldn't necessarily work because they're doing different stuff that doesn't is not feasible for us but you know that doesn't mean it's bad and actually I worry a lot about our influence on the scene in that way because yeah. I, I worry sometimes that we sort of push people to that middle ground I, I guess I should explain it for the people who are listening um, so on, on one end of the spectrum I like to say that there's a lot of people who are doing very literal interpretations of you know pop culture icons and movies and uh themes and and converting them into action figures mm-hmm. and that's that that is the art it is that interpretation you know dan o'brown and uh Circle a lot of the, a lot yeah a lot, a lot of those guys are um just readful things who just do like this fantastic work and they will take a character take steve martin from the jerk like You know, the licensing department at the studio who owns like the jerk, you know, has not monetized the jerk ever, you know, to to make anything. And if they could, like they would, but, you know, he's able to make a one of a kind figure and put it on eBay and get a thousand dollars. And that's fantastic. Um, But legally, and I'm not a lawyer, I'm not giving you legal advice, but in my opinion, (laughs) always have to say that, um, doing a -a one-of-a-kind figure is really hard for anyone to go after it's a piece of art he created a piece of art the fact that there's printed material there or he's used the logo people could tell him to stop they could choose to fight it if they wanted to most people are not going to for a single piece of work yeah and then on the very other end of the spectrum are people who are creating their own world their own characters um their own universe that has no cultural reference point. Sometimes they're kit bashing other toys, Mm -hmm. but if they're making, you know, universe X with their, you know, their alien character, Gleep and Glorp, and, you know, what, you know, it's just their own world. So that's difficult for us to sell too. Mm -hmm. Right. And I can't sell the Dana Brown stuff because um, it's got the logo of the movie on it. Mm-hmm. so it it really it's the stuff in the middle it's the that we're selling mostly um where someone is using like the transformative properties of and taking something and making it the, their own yeah and you, using you know i won't sell anything with a, a star wars logo on it or a trademark logo it's got to and from my point of view like the the work that I like the most is when someone does a piece of work and it's so transformative that you know immediately from across the room that it's their work. Yeah. And that I think is and that I think for the sucklord is is what is most evident as you walk into a room, you see a piece across the room, even not always, but even when he's just done his cheap rack toys where he's just taken an image and taken a found toy and juxtaposed them. You often know, oh that's a sucklord toy. Yeah. How is that? I mean, because that Rack toy series is is only about juxta- the juxtaposition of an image and a found object, but you know it's him.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I don't know how the fuck that works. Like, I mean, that's... Yeah. All right, that's, <laughs> that's the next level. That's what he always talks about. Like, he says that most of the stuff we sell is one plus one equals two, and he's looking for one plus one equals three. Yeah. Like, okay, I get that. And, you know, that's something to aspire to, and not everyone is at that point yet but hopefully one day
0: yeah what's interesting is as you describe this like whole um i don't know like spectrum i guess we have like all these things that are thrown in the in the midst of it right so there's like and bootlegs and those found objects and then we have um sculpts and all those things so this is where you're gonna come in because this is its own podcast uh, release that will come out alongside of next week's, like, we're going to push it out another day. Um, Mm -hmm. So, like, let's define some of these for these artists that are listening. If you, I mean, Sucklord tried to get me to try to define bootleg, because he said he Mm -hmm. had the only definition. And I just laughed and brushed it off. (laughs) Well, you know, in in a lot of
1: your other episodes, you do talk, uh, because you're an artist yourself, you're talking about the methodology and how people go about communicating in this medium yeah and before we get into like defining it i'm gonna just go so far as to say that i don't think it matters okay right some people sculpt some people pay other people to sculpt uh some people kit bash some people uh cast some people don't it it actually doesn't matter right it doesn't um there are a couple artists in the scene that got a lot of criticism early on because they don't cast their own figures yeah and it doesn't matter, like it doesn't matter if you pay someone else to design it, pay someone to sculpt it, pay someone to cast it, paint someone to paint it, paint someone else to put it all together, right? If you sign it, put your name on it, that's the art. You're the, 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 the art is being in the, I mean, this is a conceptual medium to begin with, but art in general is, you know, look at a director of a movie. What is a director? A director's job is just to say yes or no. Right, to yeah. so the cinematographer, to the sound guy, to a uh, sound person, rather, um, set designer, special effects, whatever it is, the editor—they're the ones who are seeing it through and putting their name on it. They're also taking responsibility for it when it's shit. Mm-hmm. And my, you know, my favorite, you know, examples when you see a, a $50 million Jeff Koons blow-up balloon dog—you yeah. know—that's tw- 20 feet tall. Is Jeff Koons on the top of that thing with a blowtorch putting that thing together? Hell no! No, it doesn't matter.
0: We interrupt this broadcast of Toys on Top to bring you this.
2: Earth to
0: Kentucky! Aliens have landed. Utling. I want lowbrow art and bootleg toys. Toys, 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 Well you come to the right place. Earth to Kentucky is a shop for folks who love vintage sci-fi lowbrow and art bootleg toys. toys. Toys, toys, toys. They're located over there at 836 Main Street, Covington, Kentucky. <coughs>
2: toys, Toys,
0: They carry original art, vintage action figures, designer bootleg toys, and toys and t-shirts, designed exclusively for their store by some of their favorite artists. Thank you, Earthling. I enjoy Earth to Kentucky. I have all my favorite bootleg art toys. toys I hey,
2: look at that over there. It's a spaceship. Yeah.
0: I need to go now. Someone's filming me in my spaceship. Shop now. www.earthtokentucky.com. That's earth2kentucky.com. Or just land your
2: spaceship when they're open.
1: It's a, and the, the bigger the artist, like the less work that they actually do. Um, you look at the back of a Murakami painting, there's credits sort of like a movie of all the people who worked on it. That stuff's worth millions of dollars. That shit just doesn't matter. It matters that you created something, you put it in front of some somebody, and it matters how they feel about
0: it. So much of what I do is try to figure out what I do, like like what type of art or how to describe it. And so many people, like I've had run-ins for other artists, or like, I think it was so funny. I had another artist that was like, yeah, Yekko doesn't make art. Well, that's funny, because like, I don't feel like I believe that I make art yet like I don't know what it is that I fucking make. Well, if they're
1: not evolved enough to like see this as a method of expression, that's their problem. Yeah. Right? I like Clive Barker's definition of artist like someone said that, you know, you're an artist and he said, "Well, th- that's a compliment." You know, he doesn't call himself an artist that that is a like, a gift that someone bestows upon him. Yeah. You know, saying you are an artist, right? So um and I also like the, the Robert Williams definition. You know, he says there's no such thing as bad art.
2: Mm-hmm. There's
1: great art, good art, and stuff that's not for you. And unfortunately, an action figure, the medium of artist made action figure is not for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and even for people who are actually buying it and collecting it, it's for even small, there are a lot of people who enjoy it and appreciate it, but um, people actually buy it that is a small little swath of you know there's like toy collecting and then like there's this niche of you know art designer toys and then there's this niche of like the action figure you know yeah. it's like a niche of a niche of a niche and
0: i think it's um because yeah because now we're getting into like you have people like death by toys who like man talking to him about his stuff and how he has like boxes of stuff and just is making stuff constantly like God's pubes or clown sure. pubes or whatever, and yeah. how those are selling like hotcakes, and then you get to someone who's like making an action figure and doing something that's also kind of I don't know punny or whatever, and mm-hmm. sometimes that doesn't sell as well because it's like well people don't really want the toy aspect; they want the like the humorous joke. Sometimes, look at every other art form that's out there. Yeah, look at
1: like the, the movies that. You know the movies and the music and the, the television, the books that make the most money are are they necessarily the things that you like?
0: <laughs> that's that's a good question.
1: Right. I um, I think Death by Toys is a genius. Yeah. Right. And I you talk about like the juxtaposition of a of taking the medium of action figure and making it into you know just. Um, packaging, you know, God's pubes or, you know, clown pubes or, you know, all that stuff. It's just fantastic. It, you know, it's the creation and the concept that's great. Whether it resonates with people, <clears throat> it, I mean, it just so happens that clown pubes can sell for
2: $25. Yeah.
1: Where his, like, dead, you know, Batman parents, you know, because of the work involved, is $300 or $200 or whatever it is. But, you, you know, what I'm saying so, it's like... yeah. There's financial concerns also, like when he gets away with a joke of putting an empty blister on something, yeah, 20 bucks, that's great. He can sell hundreds of those. But if he's spending a full day, kit bashing, painting, casting, you know, and that's why a lot of those guys, um, they're successful and they don't need to cast anything. Dana Brown is uh, not casting anything. Um it it limits their ability to work with DKE because I need yeah. for again for financial reasons I need it's very hard for me to promote one piece mm-hmm. right I need a run of something um, and also like we're a place where people start out like you don't see us selling well was the last time Suckler gave us an exclusive it was like 2016 or something like that yeah It, it doesn't need to yeah. Uh, But we do produce, you know, we made the bags for him. We make his stickers and his pins and his patches. We're starting to do that with Killer Bootlegs. Like, he was making stuff for us up to a couple years ago, but he just liked the idea of being present at these shows. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't need to do it. Healy doesn't need to do it. Every once in a while, if they feel it's right for them, it works for them. I mean, I could push them. Yeah. Hey, man, make me stuff. Maybe You know, it's like, I I have enough stuff to sell. and. Um, they can sell out at full price. They don't need my help. They're not, you know, I it kind of, you know, I know it kind of ruffled Morgan's feathers for a while there because he felt I was giving a platform and a voice just to anyone and he sort of felt a little threatened by that early on. Yeah. Until like everyone just, he got the feeling or understood that everyone just sees him as the godfather of all of this and that yeah. somehow he, t- he takes credit for all of it and then... He can sleep at night. Yeah. So, you know, most of life is just the opinion we have of ourselves, made up in our minds.
0: What's cool about this art form, so my my wife is, um, I mean, she's asked, like, why I'm interested, why I do this, or all those things, and, I mean, trying to convey it, I still struggle, but I, I something about it I'm drawn to. Mm-hmm. But I, I think what was cool is um, having the interview with, morgan and then um and all these other artists and then watching master casters with her to try to like get her into this idea uh-huh. of um and then explaining it this way like way back when picasso started painting and people saw those paintings they were like man this is the guy that's starting this style mm-hmm. and now we look at it and it's like oh he's it's hundreds of years ago he's been dead sure. but we're in such a new art form that the guy that is potentially the beginning is still alive and we're watching him still create as we're creating alongside. And I think that is more enticing. That story and that narrative is super enticing for me. And I think that helps convey some of the stuff, like my excitement about it as well.
1: Sure. I mean, we are definitely, you know, as Frank Kozik, uh, anyone who's watching this and who's heard me on other podcasts or our own, interviews like I tell the same stories over and over again so I apologize but it it was Frank Kozik who told me early on when I asked him just about designer toys in general like is this gonna last yeah and he's like yeah of course you know there's gonna be this initial craze and it's gonna settle down and it's just gonna stay on that plateau for a long time which is proven absolutely to be true Um, but what he said is that every um, every art form has had its pop culture renaissance whether it's poetry or film or you know you name it you can track at some point in history 10 years ago or 100 years ago a thousand years ago when something just kind of came to the forefront and everyone just sort of understood what it was as a medium you know whether it was Shakespeare with plays or I you know I don't know the the history of it enough but everyone knows what a play is
2: Mm -hmm.
1: right I mean I'm certain there was a point in history when you know, someone had to say, okay, you guys sit over there and be quiet, and I'm <laughs> going to stand over here and talk, and you're just going to listen and be entertained. Yeah, and that's not true. I mean, there's a very primal thing sitting around a uh, a campfire, and, you know, humans like stories, but it, it, you understand the point, is that yeah. there's a point in history, which you could identify for for every form of art, when it came to the forefront and became part of you know who we are and three-dimensional toys and design has really been in the last 20 years and it, it started small you know it started with you know because the, maybe the politics of china and people were able to make vinyl toys with a factory before you used to have to make hundreds of thousands of toys to make something worthwhile right yeah um, and then you could go to a factory and for a relatively small amount of money, instead of hundreds of thousands of dollars, you could make something for five, ten, twenty thousand dollars and make a run of 500 or a thousand of something. Still very expensive. And then what's interesting about the, the sucklord uh, is he was trying to get in on that and get someone like Kid Robot to make his toys
2: yeah. and they
1: wouldn't. And so he took it a step down like, how can I, what can I make here? right now in my apartment. Um,
0: And it was basically out of necessity that this was all born. Uh So, So as far as that, like because it's been around for such a short amount of time, I think my goal is to really like, I mean, it's probably everyone's goal to figure out. Do we know for sure that he's the first one? He's definitely not the first one to customize an action figure. There were certainly people
1: casting resin, yeah, there were certainly people making their own action figures. There were certainly people making custom action figures he was he's the first one that we can pinpoint that called it an arc form, okay and has used it at his as his primary medium of expression now, killer bootlegs and Healy will I'll tell you that they came upon this idea the same you know all by themselves and yeah. found out about him later and mm-hmm. you know. Um, and that's fine. Not taking anything away from them, but I like, uh, you know, Morgan's response to that is like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was a first go to hell. I respect those guys, but fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, um, that's the best that we know. And if someone comes out and says, Hey, and if they were thinking about it, they certainly didn't put stuff out in the world as an addition for sale. Before that. Now, Marcel Zama with a company named Serial Art that was putting out designer objects, right? They would put out shower curtains and tea sets and music boxes, whatever an artist wanted to create, a vinyl toy. And Marcel Zama put out uh, a set of injection molded action figures. 2004, right? 2004. Mm -hmm. And they were based on, they were called Uzama. They were based on like, uh, you know, the Turkish Uze figures. Um, so he certainly had that idea. Um, but, it, and then if you want to talk about the actual bootlegs, well, those just started immediately. There's bootlegs of, you know, every toy that's ever come out since they came out. Right. Yeah. Hey, to, like I said, to the best, the best of our knowledge, he was the first and no one has come out and claimed otherwise. So we just go with it. And when they do, and he doesn't say I'm the first, he says always says he thinks that he was the first. And if yeah. someone else comes out of the woodwork and, and says otherwise, that's fine. That is not going to change anything, though.
0: Oh no! And I think we would, like, we would need some substantial, like, it, it, if that doesn't matter. Let's say yeah. they substantiate it, right? And They say, "No, I did this before."
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, good, good for you. But he's not the one who influenced you. Yeah, I mean, so that doesn't matter. Like, you know, Picasso wasn't probably not the first, you know, Cubist or, you know, it doesn't. He's the one who put it on the map. Yeah. And you know, I think he co-developed it with somebody else. Like, um, that you can Google it. Um, But that's the thing that comes to mind when we think about it. You know, you, come, you think about pop art. You think about Andy Warhol. Was he the first? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter. He's the most famous. Yeah. They're still making Andy Warhol keychains and shit that you can buy anywhere.
0: Yeah, I think about that with Keith Haring. Like, those weird drawings he was doing and, like they're still around and I have like, I work with teenagers now and they're wearing his shit. And it's like, that seems crazy to me. Right. Have you always
1: been creative? Have you always been looking for a
0: creative outlet? Absolutely. It started out with murals
2: Mm -hmm.
0: and I was painting, um, as like a service to schools and stuff. And Mm -hmm. so I was like painting their walls for them and doing whatever. Mm -hmm. And then I started, um, doing it for a couple businesses right and you just realized i'm uninterested in this now like i moved on to something else and that's where how i ended up in toys
1: so you know i mean everyone has their own story about how they got here yeah right but and that's it's always interesting details to know but you know it's really about like what you do yeah <laughs> i mean so doesn't that explain something about your desire to work in a medium that like it gives you pleasure because it's something that reminds you of being a kid. I mean, you work with children. Yeah. Right. And your medium is representative of something that, you know, is, even though it's collected by adults starts out as a child's toy.
0: Yeah. And I think what's, what's interesting. I mean, while we're on that path is uh chicken burger disco sent me an image today of mm-hmm. Hasbro, Pulse, or whatever the damn company is. Yeah. I don't know. Right. And they're making uh, the prototypes. He sent, he sent it to me too. Yeah. So I don't know anything about that. I don't know. I Look, this is a company that's out of ideas. Yeah. Are they trying to come after bootleg stuff now? If they could, sure. I yeah. mean,
1: if they could monetize any of this. Look, they have a license. They have to produce a certain amount of product every year. Mm -hmm. To to meet their minimum guarantee and keep their contract, you know, and then get it renewed because they're proving themselves like if you work from, for Hasbro, you have to, you know, if you rent yourself to a corporation in exchange for a paycheck, right. You are earning for them. Yeah. Right. But then they are have to prove themselves an earner to the licensee. Right. So they get a license from Disney and if they're not selling product, then what's Disney going to say? Well, we can make more money doing someone, you know, working with another company yeah. because they have to earn for their shareholders. Right. It's just, it yeah. keeps, it keeps going. And so it's, it's the same theme. So are they going to draw from, from this market? Sure. Maybe it's a coincidence. I don't know. It's not very good. You know, I saw a rainbow R2D2 from yeah you know, D- Disneyland. It's like, okay, it's a color colorful R2D2. Like, I just looked at it. And I was like, this is dumb. Yeah. You know, it
2: reminds
0: I, me of, uh, well, I mean, it reminds me of the Vader that Magoob created a long time ago, that giant one that was multiple colors. Sure. Um, it reminds me of just like, there's a certain contingency of artists that love reproducing the Kenner figures and they mm-hmm. just do them in new color waves and do whatever. And this is, it just, it's like they're taking a note out of that book like, Oh, We see this rising art form. Right, but when an artist does it as a means of their own personal expression
2: Mm -hmm.
1: without the gatekeepers and the censors of a licensee, it's that approval process that homogenizes it and and reduces it down to something palatable for a large amount of people. Yeah. And when you're making a run of toys, 10, 20, or one of a kind, like who's your audience, right? Mm -hmm. It's like like you have a million followers on instagram or you have a thousand who cares like you just made an edition of 10 and you need to sell 10 yeah and if you sell 10 you're a superstar and if you sell one you're like <laughs> eh. right but <laughs> yeah. if you only made, if you only made one mm-hmm. and you sold it for a thousand dollars like you know what i mean it's like wherever your goals are
2: yeah it's just it's
1: um so is you know is hasbro now experimenting with you know colorful. I mean, it's meant to look like a prototype. Like those prototypes were always done. Gray? Sometimes they were in whatever plastic was, yeah. you know, and sometimes the arms and legs were different colors. And so it, it's interesting that they're, they're doing that. What would be more interesting is if they actually found an artist and had the artist create something out of their own mind. Yeah. And release that with the artist's name on it.
0: Yeah, that'd be incredible.
1: Now now that I enjoy, right? That's Mm. a collaboration that that I like to see. Um, You know, Tops right now has a project called Project 70. And they have, they're releasing baseball cards. And they're having all of these designers who are are named, you know, Mm. not just a random person who designed it in-house, who are artists also. But someone who, and I tried not to get sucked in, but you know, I got the. I've been doing all the Alex Party cards because he's one of my favorites. You know, and so he'll like. Oh, I
0: love that. You
1: know, it's just it's in a design of like a nineteen eighty eight tops card, but yeah. has you know, and it's for whatever player they said, hey, make a card of this player, but then he's got like. Yeah. You, you know, like some demon claws. This spider webs or spider claws like I this would not have been okay 20 years ago Mm -hmm. so you talk about the culture changing like if if Thompson in 1980 would have put out a baseball card of I don't know whoever was popular in 1980 Pete Rose Mm -hmm. right with a spider claws around him and like spider webs like
0: uproar
2: yeah
1: right like and so we're starting to understand as a culture that like there's artists and they have a certain point of view and they put their own spin on things. And that makes it interesting. And -hmm. if you like the artist, you like the work that they do. Um, Unfortunately, art is super subjective. And if you like the artist, then you tend to like their work. It's very hard because someone else could do something very similar. And then you say, Oh, like, yeah, I don't like that person. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, it's kind of like music, like, there's all these people who put out music every day. Most of them are pretty talented. I mean, they can hit the notes and they can sing the song and play the instrument. And most of them sort of fall into a, a middle ground. Yeah. And so, you know, what are we buying into? We're buying into an image. Uh, we also tend to like people that we're afraid of. Okay. That's a good <laughs> way <to describe> that. <laughs> right. You know, like someone who intimidates me, like, yeah. Um, you know, so you've, you know you've spent a lot of time in your past shows. Uh, you can tell I listened, right? Um, <laughs> you know, talking about the the fascination you had with the persona mm-hmm. right and you know, Lord has been able to pull off, or he just naturally kind of had that persona. and you know he says he doesn't amp it up, that there aren't like two sides to him. Yeah. I mean obviously there's two sides to everybody but it is not like, it's not an act. Yeah. You know, I mean, he pours it on, he can tune it, you know, it's like Pee Wee Herman, like you ever just see him, like there's this old man in a suit just talking to you and he just go, you know, he's talking and then he goes, ha ha, you know, it's yeah. like, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know what I mean? That's kind of part of his persona. So does he amp it up and can he be, you know, comedic and all that kind of stuff when, when the camera's on? Sure. But I don't know him personally, but I can only imagine because you don't see Paul Rubens in dozens of other movies all the time, mm-hmm. you know, playing a serial killer, playing a dad, you know, playing a you know an action star, playing a, you know, it's like he's kind of he's kind of does his thing, yeah, and he kind of doesn't step out of character. So, um, and while Morgan is great on screen and he's entertaining, can you imagine him, you know, being an action star? Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine having a beer with him. So (laughs) do you know what I'm saying? It's like he's he's just him. And it's like if he gets the right role or the right job where he can just be himself, it's excellent.
0: Yeah, we we talked about that a little bit, how he like couldn't find a job in the workforce. And for the life of me, I couldn't find a workforce that like he would fit perfectly in. And so it was like, I don't know what you would do.
1: Right. and You know, I I made a documentary years ago about a a rock band trying to make it. And a lot of the things that were said in that film, I just quote back to people. And it was a girlfriend of one of the guys in the band. And she's just said, if, you know, this was about being in a band. And she said, if there's anything else you can do and be happy, you should be doing it.
2: Yeah.
1: And, you know, Morgan pretty much said the same thing. It's like, you can be an accountant. You can go to work every day, you know, crunch your numbers, come home, you know, have a family, watch TV, you know, go on vacation, you know, support yourself and you're a happy person. Then that's what you should be doing because yeah. an art, artist's existence is horrible. Yeah. You know, I, I would describe it as like being an open wound <laughs> in your, your entire life, just walking around because you create something. And then you put it out there and you're just all vulnerable and, you know, people shit on it. And you, you have to have, like, you have to be, you have to have some elements of Ed Wood. Yeah. Right. You have to have some perseverance of some thick skin because otherwise you'd create something once and someone says one bad thing, and you go hide in the corner and never yeah. do anything again. And then, so it's like, what are you doing it for? If it's a medium of social, of sorry, of, uh, not social, uh Of self-expression then you have to do it because you have
0: something inside that you need to get out I mean so with all that I mean we talked about so much but we haven't even gotten to you so we I'm boring with all this toy stuff like what makes you why toys why DKE what is your interest with like helping these new beginning artists and um like what where did all that stem from I've been selling toys for, since I was 18, I
1: was already in business. And even before that, I was selling comic books and, you know, cover price on a comic book was 75 cents. Yeah. And in fifth grade, I was taking special orders, riding to the shop and selling it to the kids at school, whose parents wouldn't take them to a comic shop and sell it for a dollar.
2: Okay.
0: And so, um, taking your 40%. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, And it was like that, the idea that I could make money, there was a a candy store down the street called heaven and they had pixie sticks for a nickel. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: This was the best gig because I could buy them for a nickel. I could sell them at 10 cents. And I realized that like that worked, I could take five bucks and turn it into 10 with very little effort. Mm Right, sugar is like a great thing. Like people, are like oh yeah, but I couldn't buy a candy bar at fifty cents and sell it for a dollar. Right, that's like too the dub- noticeable. Yeah, the doubling power there was like oh that that didn't work out. Yeah. Um, and then you know, so it it came out of growing up with not a lot of resources, not a lot of people around me that would give me money to indulge in the things that I wanted wanted. Yeah. And I, at least my feeling is like virtually every other kid around me having just like everything they wanted. Obviously, not true, but yeah. that's what it's. And then me having, you know, my cute little, action, you know, it's like, and it's like, how do I get those things? And, and I guess I, what I didn't understand and what I would ask my mom is like, how did they get all that stuff? Yeah. Right. It's like, you only buy me toys on my birthday and for the holidays. Right. Yeah. What holidays am I missing? It's like, how do they get keep new stuff came out last week at the store? How did they get that? Yeah. Oh, their parents just buy them shit. Yeah. <laughs> how, do I, how do I get in on that? Yeah. You know, and the response was like, I uh, can't afford that. Not buying you more toys. Um, you can go earn some money. OK. And it uh, I liked the, the freedoms that that afforded me. And, um, it's just always, and I've never had a very set idea. If you would have told me that I would be pushing 50 and I would be selling art toys and have an online store, which I vowed I would never do. Yeah. Um, and be on the convention circuit, which I just thought was like, holy shit. Like I would never do that. Like, and that's what I do now. Like life is full of chance and coincidences and luck and if you decide if you make a very firm decision that I'm going to do x and I will only be happy if I do x yeah then you ignore the other possibilities that could happen right so you're a creative person
2: Mm -hmm.
1: you're making toys now that doesn't mean that an opportunity is not going to come along that will fulfill that same artistic need that might pay you a lot of money maybe the notoriety from what you're doing now is just a stepping stone to the next thing
2: mm-hmm.
1: how who's to say if you do your job right you put the work out there no try not to piss people off too much mm-hmm. not in the bad way right um at least do the things you're supposed to do mm-hmm. you know return your calls your emails ship stuff. When you say you're going to ship it, if you don't do, you know, have integrity, basically in, integrity, you're going to, integrity is not, not to be confused with morality. integrity is doing the things you say you're going to do. Okay. And if you do that, right. It comes out of like the, um, you know, in production, there's, if you're making something for someone, there's like good, quick, and cheap, choose two. And you only need two to two to be successful. Good, quick, and cheap. Okay, right. So if it's if it's if it's good and quick, it's not going to be cheap. If it's cheap and quick, it's not going to be good. And if it's good and whatever, you can figure that out. Yeah, whatever the last uh, one is. Yeah, Neil Gaiman uh, kind of changed that a little bit for artists and r- wrote a little small book about it. And the the three um, the the three elements for artists were you do good work people like you and you turn your work in on time. Okay. And he said, you only have to do two to be successful. Right? So if you, if people like you and you turn your work in on time, you don't even have to be that good. And like, if you're, if you're good, um, and turn your work in on time, you could get away with people hating. you. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And then again, whatever the sort (laughs) of extrapolation of that is. Um, so, Um, if you just open yourself to opportunity and keep your ducks in a row and don't live your life on the edge, you know, if you have your shit together, then when opportunities arise, you can take advantage of them. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, you know, uh, the Robert Evans, that sleazy Hollywood producer, he wrote that book, kid stays in the picture. He said, there was no such thing as luck luck is when opportunity meets preparation. Okay. Right? So if I came to you and say, hey, you know, I have a 10-year supply of COVID vaccine. You want to buy some? And it's like, well, I don't know how to sell pharmaceuticals. I don't know if that's legal. I don't know. You can go down yeah. the list of like why that's not okay, right? But when I had a warehouse, when I, well, when I had a bigger warehouse than what I have now and a distribution uh, method and enough line of credit with the bank. And then someone offered me a half a million nightmare before Christmas toys for a dime each. You could say that that was lucky,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? It, all the ducks were in a row. I was prepared. And I, I lived off that for. That supported us for years.
0: Yeah. That's a big ass shit. Right?
1: That was, um, that was, it, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we sold them for a dollar. I sold most of them for 15 cents, you know, a few months later and got all the room back. But the, the stuff that we kept, we sold for a dollar. The pieces retailed for five or six dollars. The retailers were, you know, insanely happy. Mm-hmm. They were buying something for a dollar and selling it for five. And that was still half price. Like It was just, it, it worked for everybody. Mm-hmm. So um, when a collection walks in the door with something amazing, Know something, you know, that's happened. You know, we buy collections all the time, but you know, sometimes uh one day like a, a two foot by two foot chunk of the Death Star walked in the door. Okay. And the guy's like, Whoa, right? Well, I know the prop collectors, and you know, I got on the phone and made some calls. I sold it for the guy and made my commission like it was cool. Yeah. But if you offer a, a two-foot square piece of Death Star to like you know, the woman selling tacos here on the corner looks like a piece of garbage to her right so yeah you have to just be prepared and opportunities will present themselves yeah and if you if you do good work and you get noticed like um, I don't think uh, it, it, it's kind of when you say like no I won't you know when you it's when no. Everyone should say no when it's appropriate. I, I, I'll use the example of my buddy Lance, who um, who I love, and this is not a slight against him. Um, he opened up a Star Wars store in El Cajon, California, in I don't know mid '90s. Wow, that's not even that. That's real close to me. And he was, it was called Star Force Collectibles. Man, that's I loved going down there. Like it's just had a. I mean. This was the dead time for Star Wars, like early yeah. 90s. Like, And if he had made it to like, if he had survived until like eBay, he would have been golden because he had, and I sold him so much stuff, like opportunities would present themselves. I would just, that that was like the closeout era. Like, hey, you need a, you know, you need a, a thousand Return of the Jedi coloring books. Like I got them there 50 cents. Like, oh, I could buy them. I could take what I needed. I could sell him the rest. And yeah but it was a very rigid idea of what he wanted to do and he wanted to have a store and a store in El Cajon you know I mean you have to be a destination a destination in El Cajon California like that's yeah. that's rough like uh, mail orders probably the way to go mm-hmm. um, people have asked me like how come you never had a store like I never wanted a store. I never wanted to sell to, to the retail public. Like that, I yeah. don't. I don't know a lot of people who have stores who are doing really well. Like it's just, you know, when when Dustin called me, and wanted to open Earth to Kentucky, or uh, I spoke to Garrett. Um, both of them, I told like, be careful. Like, yeah, you know, most stores go out of business. It, it's your. It's very hard to sell collectibles. And I, from a, a friend who has a, a toy store chain out here in Southern California, like he makes more money selling monopoly and just these regular things. And like, I would sell him collectibles to put in the store and that's great. But he just told me, he told me that like 30 years ago, he's like, no one makes money
2: mm-hmm. selling
1: collectibles. They're like a loss leader. They're cool. People walk in the store, they look at them, they buy something else. Mm-hmm right? Very few people make a living at selling collectibles. There's not enough, there's not enough product out there or else you'd have to constantly be changing what you were doing. It's like action figures are hot. So you're selling action figures and then Pokemon's hot and then you're selling that, And then like, you know, you're selling 18th century furniture, like, cause that's hot. Like you'd, yeah. have, you'd have to, you'd have to be jumping around, um, or operate a service or something like that. Um, so you kind of just do what you do and then one day you get a phone call someone needs help with something yeah someone like like uh, like death by toys was talking about like you got this insane commission and a lot of those guys are not taking commissions mm-hmm. so if you can if you're a good people person and you can deliver on commissions like okay, i just see on people's instagram page no commissions no commissions no commissions well it's hard to do commissions the people have unrealistic ideas of what to expect and how much it's going to cost and they think like oh you made that toy it's a hundred dollars well obviously you could make a toy of me i've had celebrities like email me like they want to make a toy and i said like how many do you want they're like one i'm like okay it's going to cost you five thousand dollars yeah geez like I, i'm going to have to pay a sculptor a thousand dollars like i have to pay the artist; i got to pay all of these people like for you to make one now if you want to make a hundred you know it might cost you six or seven thousand do you mm-hmm. know what i mean but are, what are you going to do with them Oh, I only need one. It's like, sorry. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then you never hear from them again. But so if you're selling your services like that, you end up doing a lot of education. And if you're doing it by, you know, DMs on Instagram or on uh you know by email, it's very difficult. Um I you know when you when you said you wanted to make exclusives for us, I, I had to talk to you on the phone.
0: Yeah. I remember Got
1: it. I have to talk to people on the phone.
0: Yeah. But right. I think that's what's drawn me to do DKE and like to want to be a part of these things is because you were super honest about uh like I don't think we were on the phone for 20 seconds and you were like, real quick, it's shit money. Like I need your stuff it's, it's sh-
1: dude, it's shit money for the what you are the work you are charging for yourself at full yeah. retail. Now you're gonna give me a piece of it? Yeah. Right. You're not selling work, you know, in a gallery for, you know, $10,000.
2: Yeah.
1: Right. But you're putting a lot of time in for something you're selling for 20, 50, 100. You know what I mean? It's like, Mm -hmm. there's just, when I was selling the gay empire for Morgan, they retailed $40, wholesaled those to stores for 20, he was delivering them to me for $16 and he had to pay for shipping and, and supplies. Right. So can you imagine like, and he was happy about it
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and credits me for like, you know, helping him pay his rent and surviving on toys for all of that time. That's, you know, that's like bullshit money. Right. But it's like, everyone needs, you know, needs their cut and the retailer gets the biggest cut. Yeah, and those those are the guys that can't stay in business.
2: Yeah, hmm. it
1: it's it's uh, and then it it's only because most of you can do a lot or many of the jobs because if you to, if if I want to make a toy for the toys that we produce in house like the stuff for like Ron English or Scott C or Frank Kozik mm-hmm. I have to pay someone to sculpt it. I got to pay someone to cast it. I have to pay someone to paint it. I have to pay someone to design the card. I have to pay someone to put it all together. You start off in the hole. But that's Plastic. why it's a hundred dollar toy. Yeah. Right. So it's like, how do these other guys make toys for 40 bucks? Right. Yeah. So, and that's, and then if you take it a step further, right, that's because I'm selling them at retail. Now, if I had to wholesale them, right, or if I had to do it on the scale, which, uh, I had to pay a distributor. Um, or I had to do it on the scale where then I had to go borrow money from someone or someone who was a financial partner and they wanted a return on their investment. Mm-hmm. You see, like it starts, it just gets it gets worse and worse and worse. Yeah. Very you know, quick pot, with you. so you see why these companies do well by you know selling tide and head and shoulders and the same thing and creating demand for whatever that they sell. And there's a supply chain. It goes to the store. People already want it, you know, and people are spending millions of dollars trying to break into that. Right. It's like, try my soda. Yeah. It's like, well, you know, people have already decided if they like Coke or Pepsi, usually by their time, they're a teenager, it's hard to change their mind. Yeah. You know, if they like Android or iPhone pretty much made a decision.
2: Yeah.
0: You know, I think about that a lot. Like, that's funny that you bring up the example of soda. I drink Zevia, and it's like mm-hmm. seven bucks for a six pack. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, my is that a lot? Is yeah. that a
1: lot these days? I don't know.
0: Well, I mean, considering I can get a twelve pack of Diet Coke, right? Three bucks, yeah. What and What is in Zevia? Nothing. That's the. That's why it's so like it tastes just like soda, but there's nothing in it. It's like What's the it? the better older brother of uh, Lacroix. So it's like, uh, I don't know. It doesn't like LaCroix. I've heard those jokes where it's like LaCroix tastes like someone shouted pineapple from the other room, Uh and Uh Xivia tastes like the pineapple. Then, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you can go to Bed Bath Eat and Beyond and you can buy yourself a little soda maker,
1: yeah, uh, and, and a can of CO2 and make as much, you know, soda as you want.
0: Uh, yeah, I think. What's cool, I think, about having you on here, with all and talking like reality of toys and stuff, is that like there's so many people that are coming up. What's like, I don't know how to describe. Like, there's, I don't know. I've heard it talked about in waves or however people want to describe. I don't know. But there's so many of us coming up, and then there's people coming up behind people like me who have only been doing this a year. Mm-hmm. just like this thing that's growing and growing and I think it's good to have a podcast episode just about you and the reality of what it looks like when we do this like this isn't it's not just uh people didn't become Healy made overnight mm-hmm. it takes effort and it takes running through conventions and doing all that and um I don't I know like it's
1: it, the long the longer it goes the harder it'll be to break in there's yeah. a lot of people who um have been doing it a long time, might not be as talented as someone else coming up, but it's a little harder for them to break in, right? So it's like you have the Coke and the Pepsi, and then you have the Zevia trying to break in, right? And so, unfortunately, a lot of art is perception. And, um, you know, the, the artists that really make it have unfortunately convinced a group of, you know, very wealthy people who probably know nothing about art that this is the thing to buy yeah and so you know Morgan's always whining like well when am I going to get my piece and it's like well you know when someone comes along and thinks that you're marketable enough yeah to you know whomever that you know they can sell you as a blue chip investment to someone with a lot of money based on that gallerist's word right but that is a whole perception thing like that's it's not even i don't know it's just not real and um
0: i don't know if people should just buy what they like that's the best way to describe it like if you i think that's what i see so many shitty people too online they're like oh it's just a it's a toy or whatever it's like just buy what you're like and if you don't like it just move on like don't be an yeah. asshole just keep going
1: And then there's all the people that are buying it just because everyone else buys it.
0: Yeah. Those are my favorite types of people for sure. Well, I mean, they're your favorite when
1: they're buying your stuff. Yeah. Right. But those people can also be swayed into buying something else. Like, yeah, it's interesting. Most of the people who, who I know that were in my circle that collected suckler stuff early on Mm -hmm. and had like the very complete collections of his work have sold their collections.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it could got it, it got
1: too yeah, it got too expensive. Like it just didn't justify keeping it. It's like I could sell all this, and I could put a down payment on a house. I know, a buddy, who did that. Yeah, they were gonna buy a condo, and it just there was a couple other guys that were you know interested, and they just started selling all their stuff. Like it's just stuff. Like if it it's like it was fun when you bought it for fifty bucks, mm-hmm. but. Now you can sell it for four hundred. Like,
2: yeah,
0: it's sometimes it starts to become a liability. Yeah, I think about that, and I think you know when I talk to him, because there's no at this point, who knows how many Sucklord pieces are out there. I have one of those ones that um, it was bootlegged, but it was also just thrown together, like one of those mm-hmm. pieces. Direct, direct toys. Um, yeah, and so like. I, and I asked him. I was like, "Hey, let's talk catalog. Like, who knows how many pieces you've created? Like, mm-hmm. you even have an image of all these?" And he said, "Yeah, or he could get them." Or like, he's, he, he's, he's talking, <laughs> talking about me. <laughs> yeah.
1: So. Yeah. So yeah, I have uh roughly two of everything. I'm trying ever to created? keep. Not ever creative. Most of the additions, and then okay. when it, you know, when it, it, there was at some point where he started doing the panels. The panels preceded the rack toys. The panels were. Uh, a little more thought out. They were um, a little higher priced. he would find an image, but then the the figure was modified yep. in some way, and then the, that led to sort of another. I think over a year or two, he did 500 panels.
2: Yeah, because he, he got
1: tired of working on the same thing over and over again. He took a break from that, and it was just panel, 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 and that was a little invigorating for him and it it created a little a newer market right because mm-hmm. they weren't additions you didn't have to have you did not have to collect all this stuff from before you know to get in you just saw something you liked and bought it um and i i gave him a real hard time because a lot of the, the i'm assuming the first few hundred of them he didn't have photos of it. oh okay and, and i was like dude that's not okay yeah, like, who knows what's out there, right? You know, you have, you have to... He's like, I, know, I have a list of everyone who has them. That's great. Well, I have a dozen of them. This guy's got five. This other guy's got three. That's not several hundred, mm-hmm. right? So there's several hundred probably missing. But at some point, he started taking photos, good photos of everything. Um, and when it got to that kind of stuff, I have examples. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a few rack toys and a few panels. and um, But the additions I have... You know, to have two of everything. I'm trying to keep one unassembled so that we can photograph it um, loose. And then I'll have a second set that I could sell at some point if he becomes Andy Warhol. Um, yeah. Set my children up for life. So the but my, my first goal is to do a book about Star Wars bootlegs in general, starting with the first chapter about him and then just, so th- that's basically what I'm doing now is I'm tr- I usually trying to get an example of most people's work with a Star Wars reference. Mm-hmm. So I can be, so I, I can include as many people as possible in the book uh, and really set it up as, here's the dude who, who founded this little scene and then here's everything that has come after it and mm-hmm. all of its you know, derivations. Um, Originally, you know, my goal was to do a book about him first, and then I said, "Hey, I'm going to put this on hold. I think doing a Star Wars book is better." With you as kind of like as the godfather of this this scene, and he's like, "Ah, I don't want to have anything to do with that." (laughs) And I was like, "Are you sure?" Yeah. And then he came around. He's like, "Yeah." I mean, he understood, but then he gives me a hard time about it. He's like, "You put my book on the back burner, you know, you know, for all these other nerds." Like, okay, but. I think that that's better because it will cross over to more people. If, if there was a suckler book today, there's 500 people that would buy the book. And then after that, it'd be very hard, mm-hmm. right? To just say, Hey, look at this guy's work. And some people might get it. Some people not, right? If You show it to a star Wars collector. It might resonate in some ways and in other ways, like might be difficult. Mm-hmm. But if there was a book about Star Wars influence on this scene, and, a, you know, whatever, a 20-year history of Star Wars-influenced artist-made figures, that would sell to, a, in my mind at least, if it's successful, would sell to a lot of people who would never even buy this stuff, but might like to have a book about it because of the novelty or just because they're into Star Wars. Yeah, Right, it's just a sociological experiment. Like This is how it has impacted the culture and look at this niche of artists who all communicate with these tropes that you know we all grew up on. So I think that that is a, a better way in my desire to be a book publisher, which is why I often joke is, like if I told you I wanted to get in the fax machine business? No. <laughs> right? I mean, just making books right now is, yeah. seems like... You know, I'm hoping like art books will come back, kind of like vinyl. Um, yeah, um, but I I don't know that an art book can really be replaced by, you know, an ebook. Mm. I kind of feel like that paper. What it, what is changing is uh, a, a whole generation of people who just don't care to own anything. Yeah, and, and that is bad for collecting in general. Um, might be good for the world and the environment i don't know but there's you know collecting is sort of might go away Mm -hmm. that's bad for most of us but it's kind of like you know talking to coal miners you know it's like oh well i have cancer my daddy died of cancer and it's like you know we're gonna take away coal and they're like fuck you you know coal like you yeah. know i'm not voting for you because you know you don't support coal it's like you know so we all sort of like support the things that are that, how we've defined ourselves and we all like get behind it even though it might be bad so for cutting down trees and doing all this stuff
0: but i, I don't know these are yeah. the things i think about it <laughs> i told him uh like screw the book and screw all that stuff make viewfinders <laughs> right <laughs> and sell the circles and like that because that's that's a collectible form like let's say he has 400 toys you just release an edition every and those are probably super cheap to make 400 they're not super cheap to make just um, the the little discs yeah um and
1: there's not 400 toys i mean there's there's thousands by now yeah and um and then if you're including the one-of-a-kind toys, then it's like-
0: Oh, so many.
1: Yeah, just, and I, this is, it's great because his work is accessible and for a relatively small amount of money, you know, you can go on a site and you can buy yourself something. Mm-hmm. And you should all go to psychedelic.com and say what he's got for sale and get on his mailing list because the the work is fantastic. Um, but is it's difficult, it's gonna be difficult for him to make that jump his work is going to have to steadily increase in price very slowly Mm -hmm. because what happens is one day, you know, if his work is selling for $10,000, the same thing's going to happen to that whole first generation of collectors. You're going to start looking at your collection and say to yourself, well, I'm working very hard and I have all these toys and I could turn this into 10 grand and I could, you know, positive positively affect my life or the life of my family. Mm-hmm. I think it's time to sell this i I can't afford to keep this I can't afford not to sell it and then that happens to a lot of artists is that then they are starting to their new work is starting to compete with all of the old work that is coming onto the market mm-hmm. and then that
0: sort of can sabotage things yeah I think I for the other episodes I usually use this last part of the podcast to do plugging for the art they create and where they're going to be and all that stuff but you kind of run that shit so like i think what's happening with sdcc and designer con and plans for the other show down there so basically you know we've always not always but for the past
1: five or six years we've done about three or four shows a year Mm -hmm. um because of covid we've started to do them virtually and we set up an online store which we never had before so if people are out there, I encourage you to follow us on Instagram at Toys, And if you go to DKEToys.com, um, you can check out the store. It's open now. Everything's there. Um, and then the convention, San Diego this year will be virtual again. We'll have another, I don't know, 40 new things go live. And then we'll set up the booth in the warehouse and do a live Zoom for probably three days. People do interviews and uh, talk to people, answer questions. And then hopefully by designer con um, in November, we'll be back to live shows again. Mm-hmm. And in March, this, this last March, we started DK econ, which will be virtual no matter if the world is melting or not. So okay. um, that is going to be our yearly virtual show. And then hopefully we'll continue to do San Diego and, uh, designer con and if you're in california if you're into art and into action figures i recommend a a trip to designer con it's so much fun san diego has become a a corporate trade show in many ways for movie studios and it's not like it used to be and you walk around designer con and every booth is an artist or a creator doing something cool and there's just there's just treasure to be had there walk down you just see discover so many amazing things and it's my favorite show of the year i spend more at that show than any anywhere else Hmm. i mean i used to come back from san diego when i was a kid like i had a car when i was 16 17 and i'd just come home with stuff like driving home like just car was full you could buy like star wars marvel comics for 50 cents just there were everyone emptied out their garage brought all of the coolest stuff. You could find anything in the room that you wanted. It was before eBay and all that. And it just slowly changed. And now I come home from San Diego with maybe like one file box full of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I look at, oh, that exclusive. It just doesn't speak to me anymore. I'm sort of aging out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just getting old. And like, it's really like the you know, the kids are like standing in line to get an autograph or get this other toy that I look at. And I go, you know, I just feel like an old man, I'm like, get off my lawn, this is garbage. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that kind of shit. <laughs> like, I don't know, it's, it's very weird. And um, I certainly come home with very few toys. Uh, but at DesignerCon, it just, you just meet new people and see new stuff. And it, it's just, it's what the scene's all about. Everybody's there because of the art no one's there to like meet a celebrity and get an autograph or it's, it's just, it's just art and design. And, uh, I really recommend the, the trip out there.
2: Um,
0: I wish I would have known a long time ago that you guys were so close for all, for, for some reason, I always envisioned DKE being a New York based thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm like I'm the opposite of New York <laughs> yeah but I'm in San Diego so it's like you guys are a couple hours away at most yeah. and so well, I just I never really even yeah so I'll see you guys there at DesignerCon, which I'm stoked for sounds great uh, but yeah thanks for jumping on the podcast and being thanks much. for having
1: me I always
0: like to hear myself talk for some reason <laughs> it sort of
1: like uh, validates my existence
0: yeah now I can tell uh, dollar slice like I got him now i Ha, <laughs> ha, on Tap. Toys on tap. The, next the next episode. It's great. It's amazing. You're going to want to listen to it. It's not right now, though. You're going to have to wait till the next episode to listen to it.
2: Oh, when's that? The next one. Cool.
0: Toys on Tap. Toys on tap. The next one's going to be good, too. So stay tuned
2: and, and, and listen to that. Toys on Tap. Awesome.